and we're back with another episode of Food in the Hood. That's right. And today、uh, we're extremely excited. You will hear me say the same phrase, "extremely excited," multiple times <laughs> in the、yeah. interview, and、um, also my opening too. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> to、uh, we're very happy and you know glad that we can actually bring on our second guest onto our show,、um, mm-hmm. Doctor Barampam Ismail, to kind of chat a little bit with us about plant proteins. Yes.、Uh, so. You will hear our interview conversation with Pam、uh, in this episode, and、uh, due to a little bit of a technical trouble,、um, the final part of the interview was not properly recorded.、Uh, so we will、uh, kind of come back after the portion of the interview that's properly recorded and do a little reflection and the closing of this episode. So here we go. And we're back with another exciting recording of Food in the Hood. That's right. But today it's not just Ben and myself because we're joined by an extremely interesting guest.、Uh, her name is Pam Baram Ismail, and she actually was our food science professor back in undergrad, University at, of Minnesota, at the University <laughs> of Minnesota. So, Pam, do you want to say hi? Hello, this is Pam. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, we're very excited to have you too. So, a little bit of a short intro.、Um, you know, Pam. She she's a professor in the Department of Food Science and Nutrition at the University of Minnesota. Her research really focuses on sort of structural characterization and enhancement of functionality, safety, bioavailability, and bioactivity of food proteins. And as you know, Ben and I have talked about plant proteins a ton, but it's really exciting for us to have an, ex- an expert on the show joining us today.、Um, so Pam also leads the Plant Protein Innovation Center located at U of Minnesota. The center essentially brings together interdisciplinary researchers and also industry partners to produce and research nutritious and functional plant protein ingredients and products. So they work all the way from you know from the crop, looking at breeding and genetics, all the way to processing, formulation, and marketing. So very excited to have you here today.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Pam,、uh, this is、uh, we're meant to do this more of a conversation, but we can't really forget that you're you're our professor. So, <laughs> it, like, should I say Doctor Ismail instead of Pam? <laughs> uh, uh, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so Pam,、uh, you you've been in this protein business before all of this started. Right, or, or, or all, more, more, more of the plant protein trend in the news.、Um, so,、uh, personally, I'm very interested in how the landscape has changed over these years. Could because even when we were studying in your class just four or five years ago, it wasn't like the landscape wasn't like this. So, so tell us what was like before.、Uh, may, yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Well.、Yeah. Go ahead. I'll start.、Mm-hmm. I started working on proteins before you guys were born. Oh wow!、Um, <laughs> <laughs> so actually, my master's was on、uh, gluten proteins. So I started working on 
plant proteins. That was my first uh, research in this area. But you're right, the, the landscape changed a lot. Um, so five, six years ago, main ingredients were uh, animal-based uh, whey protein, casein protein, gelatin, soy was a big part of that landscape as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, a lot has happened over the past few years with the consumers being more uh, health oriented and being more uh, environment um, aware of what's happening to the environment. We need sustainable sources of food. We need to feed the population that is growing 10 billion by uh, 2025. or 2050, sorry. So, um, yeah, so the consumer's awareness is what drove this fast change um, where the consumer is asking for more plant-based food, the consumer is asking for protein because it's healthy, the consumer is asking for sustainable sources of this protein. So to answer that, obviously, the industry is looking for sources that will provide what the consumer is asking for. And of course, the research has to follow because we don't know how to work with these new plants, protein sources. So we have to do research to address that call. Um, so the and in order to do that, everything has to start from the land. How are we going to uh, produce crops that are rich in protein, and how are we going to change our agricultural system? So there's a lot of research that goes there. And then downstream, how are we going to work with these crops to get that protein? And then more downstream in formulation, how are we going to use these in uh, products to replace other conventional ingredients? So, yeah, that's yeah. that has changed very, very fast over the years. Right. And the... It's it's interesting that you mentioned soy protein. Um, so that 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 was obviously a very big crop uh, over the years, and it has been studied. Its its protein fraction had had been studied uh, maybe before this this whole uh, plant based trend uh, in recent years. Um, and how what about pea or you you know lupin or all these other monk bean all these you know, legumes, like what, what would they, like, was it just not enough attention on it? Or uh, how, how was it before, like to, to, to these more of, uh, you know, non-traditional legumes? Yeah, yeah. The, the attention was very minimal to them and they were used as whole grains in foods. They are not, they were not used as sources to produce protein ingredients. Uh, but, um, a pea, given it's a legume, it's related to soy, it's easy to plant and short season um, because it's available. Then they looked at it like, oh, it's easy, it's available, it has proteins, let's, let's work with it. So pea started to uh, take a lot of the attention. Um, of course, there's mung bean, there's lupin, there are other legumes bean and all of that but um, but pea because of its ease of production and availability um, is is leading right now as one of the pulses and legumes um, that is leading as an alternative plant protein source mm-hmm. 
seems like a lot of it the way you mentioned it is depend on dependent on what is commercially feasible to produce at a large enough amount and then partially the other side of it would be kind of consumer awareness of this protein and its benefits and so that there's both the demand and supply side of it right and kind of you mentioned that the whole landscape of research is very holistic going from the breeding side to kind of the you know processing side in your experience i mean th- this is so multidisciplinary right and when it comes to the funding for this type of research ranging from the agro side to the processing side what does that look like for plant proteins? Do we see a lot of money coming in from the industry side or is it more um, you know, governmental funding? And how does that look like in the past versus in present day? Yes, that's a very good question because to do research, you need funding. And agencies, big agencies like USDA, government agencies, they are now getting into, uh, into that. Uh, arena, if you will, and uh, starting programs to fund in this space. And they fund from cropping systems to food-related research. But a lot of the funding also comes from uh, institutions. So Good Food Institute, for example, they are institutes that look at alternative proteins to meat, so they fund research in this area. Um, There are foundations such as the Um, Foundation of Food and Agricultural Research. It's called FFAR. They also contribute a lot of dollars to plant-based research. Again, all the holistic research, including uh, agriculture. Uh, I say agriculture is very important. It has been historically increasing yield is a big deal. Fighting diseases is a big deal. Now they are trying to do different type of research, uh, trait-based. So basically, what are the traits needed in a crop so that becomes a protein crop? So uh, doing the breeding and the agronomics and genetics to get a crop that will give you a protein that will function in food that has a nutrition uh, aspect to it. And so this is something really exciting, that new era of research. Right. So so it seems like we just never really looked at food that way in the past uh, because cause I, I really like how you explained it uh, for because plant protein trend isn't just a plant uh, based diet trend and it wasn't just the, pl- uh, the, the protein trend. It's the two things that are married together. And this uh, connection, this combination, what was never looked in the past uh, as much. So, so therefore, creating all these opportunities, and it's really exciting to hear uh, the big government agencies are also start to to fund because when they act, they probably act more, uh, you, you know, uh, you know um, vertically from 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 the agricultural perspective because. Um, I think all of our food scientists need need the ingredients to work with, and all of those, or um, to to some extent, is kind of out of our hands. Is we're, we're just given to the stuff that we're working with, um, but now um, it 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 seems like we're we're really uh, figuring out from the ground, right, to from the soil. Yeah, that's that's yeah. pretty awesome to hear. And, and do you work? Yeah, yeah. Do you work with any of them, or how how does how does this work? How how do food science play a role in in this 
Oh, it's you know we have such a great relationship now with uh, with the um, agriculture side of things uh, because they they realize and we realize that there should be a connection. Uh, we shouldn't. In the past, maybe there was a disconnect uh, between what the food science research is and what the agriculture type research is. But now there is a realization that we have to work together. Um, they they have to understand from a food science perspective that end use, from a food science perspective, what are the traits that are needed in these crops. So, for example, for a farmer to change their habits in how to farm and what to farm and what the cropping system is, the rotation, they need to see a benefit at the end of the line. So, okay, if I want to stop or have um, crops between my soy or corn, why do I want to plant a pea, for example, in the middle or another oil seed, let's say camelina? in between. Why? Why do I have to put resources? Well, that is going to give you um, an end use that is related to the protein and high value, so there's economic benefit. So in order to get there, there the, the research has to be connected between what's happening on the land to the downstream processing. So this realization, uh, you know, have helped us build the bridge and the connectivity. So a lot of the research that we do at the Plant Protein Innovation Center has interdisciplinary uh, PIs or principal investigators. So you have the breeders are working with the food scientists, they're working with the nutritionists, they're working with the flavor chemist. So it's really nice to see. And the agriculture people are excited to hear about the research. Oh, this is what food science is then. Uh, it's kind of like, oh, it's not just cooking. <laughs> it's not just culinary art. <laughs> uh, yeah. It took them so some years to understand that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Let me tell you. Uh, at the beginning, it's like, okay, what kind of food are you going to make out of it? No, hold on a second. <laughs> it's not before we get to the food, we really need to understand characteristics. There's science behind that. So our language is finally being understood. And also their language is being understood by us as well. So it's great mm-hmm. to see that. Seems like there really is a paradigm shift in the way academia partners with all of these different avenues in order to give something instead of just working strictly in our own silos, which is very interesting to see unfold. Yeah. And yeah, but then to answer, sorry to interrupt, I guess I didn't answer part of the funding question, the companies. And I think I want to stress that the Plant Protein Innovation Center or PPIC is funded by industry. So the industry is also also putting dollars into this type of research, because in order for them to successfully produce protein ingredient or successfully introduce an ingredient in a formulation, there should be basic research. So they came to the realization that we have to work with universities, we have to work with uh, researchers. And and originally in the past, every type of R&D happens internally in the company and nothing comes out, you know? Um, But now the science, the basic science is being shared um, 
which is which is exciting to see as well. Yeah. So so kind of on that end, since you touched on it, when it comes to the industry industry participation in all of this, um, it's interesting you mentioned that there's quite a bit of interest in the basic science portion of it and not just application end use, right? You you talk a lot about kind of there are changes that can be made at different levels, at the agro breeding level, at the processing level, et cetera. Some of these take a lot more longer time for it to be vested, right? For instance, agro breeding, genetic breeding, that's going to take a while compared to maybe some of the more processing, chemistry, modifications that can be made at the plant level, uh, at, at the manufacturing level. So how, how does I mean, there's so many different things you can do. How does it get decided what different resources will be put into in terms of what type of research you need to do for this particular protein or that protein? Yes. So the way it works is, if I just give the example about the Plant Protein Innovation Center, we have companies from different sizes, the big, the small, and then we have diversity in our company. Some of them are breeders, breeding companies. Some some of them are ingredient companies. Some of them are CPG companies. So each of them have different end goals, um, but they all come together around one table. And they're, they're whole, the, all the funding that they put in goes into one pot. And then we hear the different views and then a decision is made on what projects to move forward with. Um, and it, it's pleasantly surprising to see that the different projects are so diverse. Some are breeding that takes several years. Some are um, ingredient based. Some are actually formulation. We need to uh, produce a meat alternative using pea and chickpea, for example. How do we get them to work in such a product? Or we need to make cheese, daily alternative cheese. Can we do so? How do we do that? So there are different types of research. And it's like I said, it's um, very diverse. And they all come together, competitors, suppliers, um, and um, customers. They all come together, basically, around one table and decide that we really need to do diverse type of research to get to end goals. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love the imagery of having competitor companies at the same table working yeah. on a common interest to further science that will help themselves, but also further science for everyone. That is a very Absolutely. powerful image. They, they realize that we need to do this. We need to get some information. Um, if you take soy protein, for example, it's been in a market for 50 years or more. So there's a lot of research that's been done to produce different protein ingredients, different formulations. But now we're coming with all like a bunch of new things and we don't have the science yet yeah. to back us up. So we have to do this. Yeah, like the easier, the, the sort of the given materials are not even there, right? Like, like, like the very, very fundamental science are not there for, for all these new ingredients, new crops. Uh, yeah, so, so it has to be done, yeah certainly at the fundamental level yeah right and again the consumer is asking for less process um so we talked about it's easier to maybe process the ingredients to make them function rather than bleeding but no the consumer is looking at the list of ingredients it's looking at the processing and it's tell you i need less of this right 
So you want to go back to the origin. It's like, how can we make this functional without a lot of processing mm-hmm. going into it? Pam, you mentioned that um, a lot of things that are done on the agro-genetic breeding site in the past was more for pest resistance, yule, and now it's more trade-focused. Can you give some examples of what are some of those traits that consumers want that we can actually achieve at the genetic breeding level? Yeah, so here's the thing. I, I call this three pillars. This is my, my I came up with this, uh, but there are three pillars for real. So if we want to work with high protein food, the protein needs to be functional, needs to be nutritious, needs to taste good, right? If, if a protein is, you know, forms a gel, emulsify, but has a PDCAS of zero, which is the uh, protein digestibility corrected amino acid score, which is a score that tells you how good that protein is or how digestible or bioavailable that protein is. If it has a low score, they can't put it on the label. We're not getting much out of it. At the same time, if the protein is coming from a source with a lot of metabolites, a lot of, uh, you know, even residual fat can cause off flavors, Mm -hmm. then here we go. We have an issue with flavor. Um, So we're not going to consume it. So we have to work on traits that that are related to the protein being functional, having good nutritional or, or complete protein, and also at the same time doesn't have the baggage of metabolites that are bitter or have uh, volatiles that are um, off, off flavor mm-hmm. or offensive mm-hmm. uh, to the product. So what we do is we work with the breeders to kind of guide them, okay, um, this protein structure might be enhanced if we change amino acid composition. And also the amino acid composition, we can enhance lysine or the sulfur container containing amino acids um, or tryptophan or whatever is the limiting amino acid, we can try to uh, work with them. We can also look at the different fractions of protein, globulins versus albumins, and within the globulins, what do we have? And and to the ratio of the different protein fraction, and we'll work with the breeders to modify that ratio um, and then we can tell them what metabolites are causing off flavor and they look at the genes that are the source of those and we work along these lines right so I don't know that's too detailed <laughs> of an answer to yeah, scientifically that that no that's great comprehensive it's it's <laughs> satisfying to, to hear it because it, it, it we're essentially providing a lot of phenotypical uh, labels uh, that that are not just like the man, uh, uh, um, the, not not just like the, the the tall versus the short, the wrinkle versus the smooth piece <laughs> that that we all learn from biology, right? Medallion. Now we're really, yeah, the medallion. And uh, now we're really dig into the the pea itself. What's the nutrition and and what what are the off flavors that may be in these peas that can be further reduced? Um, so it's kind of it's it's awesome and it's all ironic too. We're, we're still all all these years it came back to pea, right? <laughs> Uh, and um, uh, and 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 Pam, if you uh, if I may, um, this is also a very curious, uh, just out of my own curiosity, or or um, that um, as a, I won't say I'm a skeptic, um, but but um, right now we're really at the tip of a lot of uh, investment into the plant based 
space, right? Uh, especially from a uh, from the institutional uh, investor side, there are a lot of money, designated funds that are just funding startups in the plant-based uh, space. Um, what the university I am in, there are many spin-offs. There are many uh, there, there are students uh, who graduate and want to start their own company in this space because there are a lot of money. Um, but so so let me put this straight. Like, do you think plant protein is in a bubble? Is in a bubble? Yeah, yeah. Like a tech bubble or a financial yeah. bubble. That's about. Yeah. Where I'm not sure. Uh, so so like I'm not sure how to answer. Yeah, so so like, do you think do do you think there's overwhelming of a trend that someday it would just go downhill? Oh, I see. No, I think this is a trend that will not go away anytime soon. Uh, it is the trend of the future. We have to realize that people are not going to stop eating meat, right? So it's not going to go away, and we are not saying that we want to replace meat completely. Uh, there is a big sector of the consumer that is flexitarian at the moment, which which are people that eat meat but prefer if they see on the menu plant-based, they will go for it. So this is not going to go away. And the more the consumer is getting educated, the more that trend is going to to be that way. And we need to diversify our food supply. Uh, we need to feed the growing population. So we have to think very, be very smart about how we produce our agricultural crops or animals in a way that is sustainable. And this this is, I don't see this ending in five years or 10 mm-hmm. years. I think it's, this is gonna go on um, and become, instead of a trend, the reality. Okay, so we're back, and uh, it's very unfortunate that um, the recording uh, stopped, kind of uh, stopped functioning right at that time. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but uh, what what do you think? Like, like the question that I was pushing her a little bit was was about the. Um, you know whether being a little bit skeptical and on the side of uh, the plant protein trend right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's a question that you know not only you but a lot of people have wondered whenever there's a new trend in food Mm -hmm. is this temporary is this going to stay right and from the looks of it just because of the huge amount of money going to plant protein in recent years huge amounts of startups and you know, various, uh, you know, angel investors, everyone is, you know, into cultured cell meat, into plant-based meat nowadays. It's definitely a natural question for for people to ask. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I think Pam had a really good answer (laughs) for this question. Um, And with consumer trends changing, it definitely seems like there is demand for it, right? Mm Yeah, and you know, then she also went into an analogy, um, comparing the various type of plant-based, um, you know, solid foods. Let it be, you know, plant-based cheese or meat, sausage, whatever. Uh, she compared these type of products with cheese. All right, so uh, there are many varieties of cheese. Cheese has been produced over thousands of years. Um, 
and people are not tired of seeing multiple versions of cheese.、Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, there's soft cheeses, hard cheeses, blue cheese, melty cheese,、yeah. crumbly cheese. Right. Right. It's all made from milk. Exactly. <laughs> and all yeah. fermented. Yeah. So so that that's her point, which was that the actual. Product itself, the, 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 instead of a product, it will become a category, and the category、mm-hmm. can be very large with multiple types of product. And、um, anything else you want to add with Pam's point on the bubble question? I I think what she said is fair. I mean, it does seem to be a growing trend. In terms of money going into it, but because of that, precisely what she said, because the market is more and more flexitarian,、um, I, I definitely don't see this going away either on on my end.、Um, so、mm-hmm. yeah, it will be interesting. Maybe we'll revisit this episode in ten years and realize we were wrong. <laughs> <laughs>、yeah. But I I I I kind of am in line with what Pam thinks. Right, and it's definitely here to stay. Yeah, and overall, her points. Uh, across the episodes were very、uh, good to hear because her、mm-hmm. offered a such a、uh, overview to to the relationship、sure. with agriculture and consumer, right? Because food scientists are kind of just in the middle to bridge the actual food producers、uh, with the、uh, consumers. So I think her、Definitely. yeah her point was quite valid、um, for all of it. And、um, it's just very, because she's you know leading this large center and、uh, dealing with a lot of industry partners, so she certainly、mm-hmm. get the you know a lot of the answers are like standardized answer kind of,、uh, but but like、yeah. all of it, if all of them are connected and or wholesome、uh, are produced or 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 are expressed in a wholesome piece. Like everything really makes sense together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you know, even though we are food science people who work in food science, I think it is very intimately connected. Everything from the source to the plate, and what what Pam said also kind of reminds me. I think I was reading this article saying that how in recent years, when it comes to academic research, or you know, maybe even outside of academia as well. Um, a lot of research has been more and more interdisciplinary. If you look at the author、mm-hmm. line, it has been growing longer and longer. You know, food science might collaborate with the medical university. I know my professor definitely did. So, I, I think this is also a, a trend we see in academia, right, right outside of. Plant protein,、mm-hmm. um, and then I think besides the bubble question, one other question we had before the recording、yeah. got all warbled was:、um, we always talk about on our podcast when it comes to plant protein, is plant protein based foods more of an addition to people's diet or is it more of a substitution? Right.、Mm-hmm. Is it something where people are literally, you know, not buying meat as much and buying plant-based meats in replacement, or is it kind of a, oh, like I'll just like add on one more to my diet just to, you know, it's fun and it's interesting, right? And, and kind of what what does that look like in terms of consumer behavior?、Mm-hmm. Pam、um, kind of expressed her. 
opinion and thoughts on this, and she definitely thinks it's a it's a uh, it's a addition rather than a substitution. And she had a lot of confidence in the consumers again that you know um, there are at the moment many companies uh, which are doing similar uh, which are producing similar products or. Uh, coming up with similar concepts in the plant-based meat space. Um, but she thinks that uh, perhaps when it goes into a deeper, uh, how, how do we say it? Like when it deepens into the market, becomes regular products on the shelf, uh, consumer will make their choices and whoever's successful will still be successful, not because they could replace meat. Rather, they will be successful because they made a successful product, a tasty, wholesome product. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. And that, you know, taste is really king mm-hmm. at the end of the day, right? Um, so, and I think one thing too, when it comes to the substitution versus addition problem, is just the cost of these things, mm-hmm. right? How can we use it as a substitute where for the majority of many people, this is going to incur quite a bit of additional costs to their regular grocery expenses. Yeah, right? at, at the moment. You're comparing, yeah. at the moment, it's hard to say in 20 years, but at the moment, I think part of the reason it's not really a substitution for a lot of people and more of a fun to try or once in a while, mm-hmm. it's just because of the cost. It, it is not cheap. It is getting cheaper as production ramps up and as the technology gets more advanced, um, but it's something that I think will take time. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, we, we were uh, just talking about this and it, it, as an addition of our current uh, food choices, it's certainly a, a new uh, trend, uh, which in Pam's world will become the next reality. Um, but um, certain type of marketing may not buy as many consumers uh, just to purely market it as a substitution. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we also had one last question uh-huh. for Pam, which was what is her favorite plant based dish? Yes. And um, uh, her answer was, uh, you know, it wasn't surprising, uh, but uh, it ties back to her culture. Uh, she uh, is originally from, uh, where is she from again? Lebanon. Lebanon. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. I I blanked for a minute. uh, Yeah, I blanked for a little bit. Uh, Yeah, so uh, one of the uh, common and popular Lebanese dish uh, is um, uh, falafel. So she has been really eating plant-based food before plant-based food was a thing. Uh, Right. And actually many cultures have, right? Totally. Think about beans in Latin America. You think about chickpeas in various cultures. Think about Indian cuisine, how vegetarian it, you Mm -hmm. know, it is. And people have been using plant-based protein for many, many, many years. I think it just hasn't like reached Western consciousness in the sense of like, okay, now let's just turn that into something that looks like meat. Right, exactly. Right. Right. So she definitely had that lead. And, you know, maybe that explains why her current position is uh, is leading a, um, a, a very big research center to study plant yeah. proteins. 
Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And if you're interested in kind of seeing what comes out from, you know, their lab, definitely hit up PPIC, Plant Protein Innovation Center. Uh, they have a website, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's very exciting, the things that they're doing. They work very closely with industry, with academia, uh, etc. I think there's a lot of exciting work coming out for sure. Yes. From that innovation center. Yes. So... Uh, that's been uh, our episode. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Pam and our little reflections afterwards. Uh, you can find us on various podcast platforms. You can contact us at fihpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Bye-bye.